You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Lacey Keefe, editor in chief of Meeting Place and Alt Meat. Welcome to this month's Meeting Pod episode dedicated to the meat alternatives market. Companies working in the mycelium and mushroom-based protein sector have established a new trade group, the Punworthy Fungi Protein Association. The group's goal is to accelerate the production of sustainable fungi-based protein alternatives. The alternative protein industry already is well represented by other advocacy groups, so Altmeat reached out to Paul Shapiro of the Better Meat Company for more information. His company, which makes a patented mycelium product called Ryza, is one of the fungi organization's charter members. So starting, Paul, with sort of the overall question, with all of the associations that have grown up in the last several years around alternative sources of protein, why do fungi need sort of their own affiliation group or advocacy group in this particular economy? Well, obviously, because they are fun guys. But in addition, you might say that there's already too much room taken up by these trade associations. But I would say fungi are special. They play a very unique role. So in the same way that you might ask, well, why does there need to be a National Chicken Council and a National Turkey Federation? They're both poultry, right? Well, uh, you know, why do you need a National Pork Producers Council and all that? These are different species of animal. And you have a soy board and a corn council and so on. So in this particular case, though, we're not creating a different trade group for each species of fungi out there. But we have to recognize that fungi are a different kingdom than plants. And they have a very different functionality that plants do. So if you think about on the tree of life, you know, plants and animals are very far apart from one another. So you need to do a lot of things to plants to make them look and taste like animals. You know, the process of making a Beyond Burger, which I love, it's a great product, but it doesn't look like a bunch of peas, despite the fact that pea protein is the top ingredient. That's because mm-hmm. a lot of things have been done to the peas to make them look and taste like beef. Exactly. Um, however, fungi and animals, evolutionarily speaking, are way closer to one another than either is to plants. And so mushrooms have been utilized for centuries as a meat alternative by many cultures because many species of mushrooms have a flesh, so to speak, that is more meat-like in its texture. So what we're doing is not using mushrooms. Of course, we're using mycelium, which is the filamentous root-like structure of fungi. But there are many species of fungi that have mycelium that's very meat-like and that on its own as a natural, unprocessed whole food is already textured like meat and is packed with protein, iron, zinc, and other nutrients that we typically associate with animal-based meat. As a result, this is a unique way to recreate the meat experience. And so if you think, you know, for example, like about energy, right, you've got lots of ways that you can make renewable energy, wind, solar, geothermal, Mm -hmm. nuclear, etc. Well, there's lots of ways to recreate the meat experience. One is with plant proteins, another is through animal cell culture, but a third is through mycelium or fungi proteins. And it is a different way to do it. And it deserves its own advocacy because it is a different type of product. You don't have to fractionate, isolate, extrude, all the things you have to do to plants to make them look and taste like animals. You don't really have to do with mycelium. So I think there is room for a new trade group to represent this pretty unique way to recreate the meat experience. 
So how does this play out in terms of this new fungi and fermentation organization when you're dealing with issues of policy, issues of generating investment and such? I mean, you've made an excellent distinction in how this particular technology and this particular source of protein is different from the other sources. So how does this play out down the road in terms of those relationships with non-agricultural interests, if you will? Well, there's lots of common interests that these groups have. So some of the companies in the Fungi Protein Association may be competitors in the marketplace. Others may, others may be competitors for the same pool of investors, but there are common interests. So for example, one of them relates to labeling. You think about, it's very clear, plant-based, people understand what that means, but a very tiny percentage of people know what mycelium is. Maybe some people know what mycoprotein is, but they probably, if they have any knowledge, they Mm -hmm. might think it's associated with one brand, corn, Q-U-R-N. You know, other people are calling it, like Nature's Find is calling it nutritional fungi protein. You have others, or or one company in the space is calling it mushroom roots. So like, there's lots of different names that people are calling this, this mycelium. And I think that this association, one of the key things it'll do is trying to create some type of a common nomenclature to the extent that that's desirable and accurate so that people understand. Now, keep in mind, like, you know, plant protein is a lot of different things. It'd be soy protein, pea protein, wheat protein, but fungi protein also has lots of different things because we're all, mycelium is not mycelium. There's lots of species of fungi that have different, you know, characteristics, mm-hmm. different levels of even allergenicity and so on. And so that's one is nomenclature and how working with regulators on that. Another would be something like intact fiber. So if you look at right now, FDA's rules on fiber state that, you know, something can be claimed as dietary fiber if it's an intact fiber from the plant. And they do seem to allow the same for mushrooms, but for mycelium, it's far less clear. And now keep in mind, mycelium is packed with intact fiber, with beta glucans mm-hmm. and other things that are really, you know, demonstrated to, to be great for you. At the same time, the FDA is less clear as to whether we can call the fiber intact or claim the dietary fiber that is in the mycelium that we're producing. Mm-hmm. So that's another area where all of us have a common interest in being able to make that type of a dietary fiber claim with the FDA for the mycelium that we're producing. And so there has to be a process where you have to petition the FDA or ask the FDA for that clarification in order to continue or to begin using it as a statement of quality. Yeah, as a statement of dietary fiber, that's right. Statement of dietary fiber. So now, is fermentation the only way to produce the mycelium? I know that fungi and mycelium and fermentation are often you know, used together, but is that the only production process that is used? Well, yeah. So there's different kinds of fermentation to produce mycelium. So there's generally okay. speaking, generally speaking, there's what's called solid state fermentation, which is what companies like My Forest are doing. Then you've got liquid fermentation, which is what companies like the Better Miko are doing. That's what you would perceive as like these large stainless steel fermenters that look like a beer brewery. That's like mm-hmm. what we do at the Better Miko. And then you've got Nature's Find, which is doing basically like a solid liquid interface, and which is basically like small amounts of liquid in trays. And that's for reasons that are probably not worth getting into in this. But those are really the three. And in, until Nature's Find, there were really two solid state and liquid state. And now there's this third, like a solid liquid interface. So those are all different kinds of fermentation, and they have pros and cons. So uh, just as an example, what we do with the Better Meat Co. by growing mycelium in stainless steel fermenters creates the upside of getting very rapid fermentations, like where you can complete a fermentation in less than a single day. Mm -hmm. Uh, The downside is you have higher CapEx. You got to pay for all that steel and the associated equipment to service it. 
Whereas a company, let's say like my forest, which is doing solid state fermentation, the benefit is you do have lower capex, but the fermentations generally take days to weeks to complete. So and solid state, you're talking about growing the mushrooms or the mycelium in dirt. Yeah, more like sawdust usually, but yes, that's oh. right. So yeah, so what they'll do is they'll take, so many species of fungi are saprophytic, which means they basically eat wood. And so this is why you'll see like mushrooms growing on a dead mm-hmm. tree, for example. But those species, what they do is they basically take bags of sawdust and they inoculate it with the spores of the fungi species that they want to grow. And what happens is fungi consume the wood or the, the sawdust and they grow and then they harvest the mycelium. So that's the general principle behind it. Whereas what we do in the liquid state fermentation for mycelium is essentially fill up a big stainless steel fermenter with a bunch of water and put nutrients like sugars in there and then put the spores in there and then they eat the sugars and they grow. And then we harvest the mycelium. I see. So this association, is this as much around the product as it is the process or is as much around the process as it is around the product? I think it's going to be more product. I I think there's a goal to speak with one voice, both to regulators and consumers about the benefits of mycelium and fungi protein in general. So this is a way that you get the best of both worlds. What we can do is to create alternative meats in their natural, whole food, unprocessed state already have a meat-like texture and a very good nutrition. You can also make this in a pretty cost-effective way. So if you think about, you know, one of the things that some people complain about with regard to the alternative meat movement today is they say, well, you know, I don't like that it's processed or, you know, I feel like there's too many ingredients and so on. Keep in mind, I think that's a small niche of people who feel that way. I think the average mainstream consumer doesn't care about these issues as much as some of the critics may say they do. But it is, you know, still the point that you can create alternative meats with very few ingredients and with whole foods here that really gets you a far way along. Okay. So how did this group come together? Like whose brainchild was this and how did this all get organized? You know, I got to give credit to my friend and colleague, Jim Laird, the CEO of Enough. And Mm -hmm. so they're a a, a microprotein player based in the UK. And he is probably too humble to take single-handed credit, but since he's not here recording with us, I will give it to him. It's really what was an idea that he brought out. He was not the only one who helped to forge this coalition, but really the genesis of this, as far as I remember, was that Jim thought this would be a good idea. And a lot of other people agreed and we got together and made it happen. I love it when that happens. When did the organizing for this begin? How long has this been in process? It's been months in the making and it's, you know, sometimes it's like herding cats. But in this case, to be honest with you, all the companies that joined the Fungi Protein Association were very enthusiastic from the beginning. It wasn't like it took arm twisting. And in fact, since we announced it, a number of other mycelium companies, some of which I didn't even know existed, have come and asked us to sign up and become members themselves. So, you know, this thing is growing. You can say it's mushrooming very quickly. Really? (laughs) Okay. Now, if somebody wanted to try to reach out to the organization and either get some information from it or express interest in joining, do you have a headquarters? Do you have a, who's the contact person in this case? We're still pretty nascent. So the short answer is no, not yet. But the people, the other companies in the space that have been joining have been reaching out to people like myself or to Corn, Q-U-O-R-N, and enough about that since we were in some of these stories that were published on the topic. But we're working on it. So we're getting there. So this is the very first beginnings of this association. So we're still, you know, I would say like we're not in the uh, embryonic stage, we're in the infancy stage, but we're going to become toddlers soon. 
then you start walking and then it's all over. <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> yeah. So then we're no longer cute. And then people start, you know, start disliking us. You start Oof. heading for the outlets with a fork in your hand. Um, <laughs> so when you're looking at the overall alt meat sector in the future, what role does the fermentation process, fungi, mycelium, how does that play? Is it destined, do you think, over time to become the major source because of the qualities of the product that you mentioned? It tastes very meaty. It kind of has that umami to it. Or is this sort of mm-hmm. one among several different options that are, you know, that are going to be the market 10 years from now, although they're still very much in development now? Yeah, I think it'll be a much larger portion of the ultimate market in 10 years, but I don't think that it's going to be a situation where you're going to have like one thing that's going to win out and others. So it's kind of to go back to the renewable energy, like, you know, I would expect 10 years from now that wind, solar and geothermal are all going to be playing a pretty major role in our energy sector. And I would expect the same here that I think mycelium will be playing a far more major role than it does today. Mm-hmm. But I still think that you're going to have people who are going to want to use soy and wheat and pea and, and you know some of the up and coming ingredients like fava and chickpea and so on. So I'm not making a prediction that mycelium is going to become the the you know the hegemonic player in ultimate. But I do think that it's going to become far more prominent as these companies scale up. Right now, 99% of the mycelium market for these purposes, it's a monopoly. It's corn. It's, you know, corn right. is the player in this. You take the rest of us, literally every other company in the Fungi Protein Association and combine them all and they're less than 1% of the, of the microprotein market. So corn has that distinction today. But there will be more and more companies, and they're frankly inviting of that. So there will be more and more companies using different species, different genera altogether. And I think there'll be more hybridization of mycoprotein, both with plant proteins and with animal protein. So I think that you're going to see more and more meat companies using mycelium as a hybridizing agent to create better nutritionals, obviously lower footprint on the planet, and a more meat-like texture for the ultimate end product as well. Yeah. So mycelium by itself, for the people who are very concerned in this area, it is considered vegan if it's not combined with a meat product, for example. Okay. So yeah, absolutely. But that hybridization, the hybrid combination, meat plus something else, is something a lot of people are talking about now. And so that is something that I know you were doing with the Better Meat Company, that that is a goal of your Risa product. So how does this play out in the next few years, do you think, the idea of a hybrid meat and non-meat protein product, how do you think that will find its way into the consumer market? Well, let's look at Purdue Chicken Plus as an example. So the Better Meat Co. started selling ingredients to Purdue about three years ago for the Purdue Chicken Plus. This is a product that is about 50% chicken and 50% plant-based. And it's in 7,100 supermarkets today. They keep on adding SKUs. For three years in, it's still doing well. And again, they're adding SKUs. So the product is doing quite well. People like it because they view it as something that's not necessarily less meat, but rather better. So it's chicken plus, right? You're getting the chicken that you want, plus all these other good things in there. I think the same will be true with mycelium, that mycelium will be viewed as an enhancement to the meat. This is something that makes the product actually better. 
you know, when people think about hybridization, oftentimes they think about what happened with Tyson and their raised and rooted brand. They pulled off the market for the most part. And people say, ah, see, you know, hybrids fail. But they could equally point to Purdue and that success story for Chicken Plus. And the big key difference is that one of them was marketed as less meat and the other one was marketed as better meat. It's Chicken Plus. And the other one was marketed as a West meat. And, you know, people don't want deprivation. They don't want sacrifice. They want something that's better and enhanced. It's kind of like mm-hmm. if you go to, you know, like a Jamba Juice and they ask you, you know, do you want to get hemp seeds or matcha or protein powder added to your smoothie? You view those as giving you a better smoothie, not less smoothie, but a better smoothie. And the same is so here. And so mycelium can be a meat enhancer. It can be something that makes the meat actually better and perceived as a higher quality product than something that is solely meat. And I do think that eventually, not now, but in the future, it may come to pass that hybridization is the norm. You know, right now you put gas in your car, you don't even contemplate the fact that 10% of it is ethanol. Like you don't even think about it. It's not even on your mind when you're putting the gas in your tank. But that's just the norm that we put ethanol into our gasoline. Now people can argue about the benefits of that or, mm-hmm. or, or, lack, or lack thereof, but it is the norm that gas is now hybridized with corn-based ethanol. And so I could see that happening with mycelium as well as a way to basically control costs of the rising meat costs and as a way to improve nutritionals. You get more fiber, you get mm-hmm. less cholesterol, less saturated fat, fewer calories, and a product that has a better texture. So when we hybridize meat and, and give it in focus groups to consumers of the Better Miko, the results are pretty astounding. People prefer the hybridized versions. They actually like it better in blind taste tests. They don't know, you know, these aren't people who are telling them that there's a hybrid product. We just say there's two products, try them out. And by and large, people like the hybridized version better because the mycelium adds such good texture to the product. Very interesting. What are some of the other new things that you're doing with the Rise of product? Well, we've been really focused on IP. So we have been granted a number of new patents lately. So we're mm-hmm. now up to four granted patents in the Better Meat Co. relating to the Rise of product. We're partnered with companies like Hormel and joint development agreements to bring these products to the market. The problem for us is fermentation capacity. So we just cannot produce enough mycelium to satisfy the customer base that we have. We don't have any salespeople. We don't have any marketing people. And yet we are way oversubscribed. Like we cannot, if if somebody came to us and said, you know, hey, I want to buy, you know, 10,000 pounds of this product from you, we would just say, we'll put you on a waiting list. So, you know, people want smaller quantities. We can make it available for them for doing product testing, but we're just not in a position right now to really take on more. So To answer your question directly, Lisa, what we're seeking to do and what we're designing right now is to create a full-scale fermentation plant where we can have fermenters the size of office buildings, and that can churn out a river of millions of pounds of mycelium to flow through the food industry and help create better meat products, better for the planet, better for consumers, better for animal welfare, just better all around. So is there any any chance in the future of of like a co-fermenter, like there are co-packers in the burger industry? and yeah, that so there are yeah there are some startups that are now seeking to do that. So like Liberation Labs just raised a, a big round to build a facility. There's another company called Synonym that just built it, or excuse me, that just raised money to build a facility to do exactly what you're saying, basically increase fermentation capacity 
for other startups so they won't have to do what we're doing. Right. You know, we're going to spend a lot on CapEx here in order to build facilities to be able to ferment our own products. But if there were like co-fermenters out there where you could go and, and do this, it would be a, a much lower barrier to entry. So we've actually done some of this with our own facilities. So we have a pilot plant in, in Sacramento where we have a three-story tall fermenter, which, you know, it's pretty big for our space. It's not big enough for commercial, but it's big enough that you can run really meaningful tests in it. And so we actually have done fermentation as a service and, and like a media development as a service from some other companies in the space who've come here to use our facility. And we're open to doing more of that. And when we have the full-scale facility, who knows, maybe we would use it for that too. You know, it sure. depend on availability and needs were at the time. But, you know, I recently was at the Culture Meat Symposium and one of the speakers made a, a very uh, sobering point to me, which was that currently bioreactor space in the world is about 61 million liters. This a, I presume this is true. I didn't independently verify it, but I'm just telling you what I heard at the speech. Sure. Uh, currently, there's six, of all bioreactors in the world, there's 61 million liters and about like uh, 90 or so percent of that is already taken up. So nearly no available capacity for anybody else to come in and utilize it. However, to make the type of dent that the alternative meat companies are seeking to make, they're both with the precision fermentation and biomass fermentation and animal cell culture, you know, you're going to need several billion liters of capacity. So, you know, that is a lot of fermentation mm -hmm. space that you need. So there's a race to build that now. And it's kind of like the, you know, you got, you know, some people that are just rushing to the hills for the gold, but other people are selling the shovels and the pickaxes. And the equivalent there is these bioreactors. Like that is the approach. Sure. And so, you know, regardless of which CPG brands end up winning, the people who actually have the fermentation capacity do seem to be the ones posed to win no matter what just like the people who sold, who sold shovels to the gold rushers did. So, you know, you can't go wrong by building bioreactors these days, it seems. Well, I would think not. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this develops. Paul, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. And we'll look for more developments on the Fungi Association end as well. It's really nice to talk with you, Lisa. Before we adjourn, let me ask you, do you know what you call a mushroom that loves to orchestrate music? No, I don't know. Tell me. A decomposer. <laughs> you did not have to go there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Bye-bye. The Fungi Protein Association is just getting started, and we'll hear more from them soon, I'm sure. You can read more about the new organization at our website at alt-meet.net. You can also go to our website to subscribe to our newsletter and bi-monthly print magazine, dedicated to the business of alternative meats. Remember to tune in on Mondays to get the inside track on the people and the processes that drive the protein industry. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Meeting Place and Alt Meat magazines on social media, and be sure to visit our websites at meetingplace.com and altmeat.net.